Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. <laughs> Ask the Dean, episode 72. I'm glad you guys didn't get to hear everyone making fun of me before we went live. Oh, no. We oh, were openly adoring you. Yes, it's all love. We, we are having fun here. Team Mapped. Excited to be back for another Ask the Dean here Wednesdays live out to the world at 1 p.m. Eastern. For those of you watching on replay, we are giving away every week uh, a one-year subscription with Mapped Advising through MapChat to our uh, commenters who leave a, a, an amazing comment on our Ask the Dean videos um, or this specific video after we go live. So. Um, if you're watching a replay, go leave a, a great comment and we'll maybe pick you to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may also be giving one away live here as well. Ooh. No guarantees, but uh, maybe, maybe. We'll see. Uh, I am joined by the uh, de facto dean himself, Dr. Scott Wright. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing fantabulous. Fantabulous. Yes, That's everything wonderful. here in Austin, Texas is rocking and rolling. Yes, everything is bigger and better in Texas, apparently. Yeah, uh, that's what they say. That's what they say. Except the power grid. Uh, we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's and, and maybe yeah. some laws around some specific things, but we'll yeah, stay right? away from that, too. Um, <laughs> anyway. I, yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> we won't go there. Uh, Varinia Granum, yeah. how are you doing, I'm my doing- friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How's everyone else doing? We're, we're doing wonderful. Former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising office at Hofstra. Before we stole you to come be an amazing advisor here on the MAPT team. So uh, awesome. you get to spread your uh, knowledge, your amazing, beautiful knowledge to the world through Ask the Dean, through your one-on-one advising sessions and uh, some more fun stuff we have planned in the future. So yes, excited yes, for yes, that. Yes. Thank you. And as always, joined by MAPT co-founder Rachel Grubbs. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, it was nice to laugh with all of you guys just before the session started. <laughs> yes, uh, and even even while it was starting. It's, uh, it's good, good to <laughs> that's laugh. That's true. My laughs tend to go long. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to laugh. That is uh, that that is Newton's what second law: an object in motion will stay in motion. Yeah, uh, that that laugh will will keep going unless acted upon by an outside force. So, <laughs> bring in some nerdy physics here as we go. Ask the dean. We are here to answer your questions. So, in the YouTube comments, go ask questions. That's where we pull them from to uh, to answer here on this session, this live video session. So, let's uh, let's rock and roll. Our first question here is, is it better to do a fifth year or a post-back? Interesting question, right? Fifth year or post-back? What do you think, Dr. Scott Wright? Um, that's a good question. I think it depends a little bit on the circumstances um, uh, of, you know, what, you know, I guess what is leading 
uh, Amia, I guess it's Amia. Uh, what's leading you to want to, you know, to feel like you need to do a fifth year or post back? Um, is it a GPA? You know, I, clearly I, I'm guessing it's a GPA issue, or or maybe you're just beginning the process. You've just become a pre med, and you're wondering, you know, should I go do a second, you know, uh, a post back that's geared for people? Uh, like that, or if you want to do a fifth year. So I, I think the circumstances, we need to know more information uh, mm-hmm. about this to really make a good, uh, a good judgment on that. Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. it's hard is, to know. is there anything technically different at the end of the day, it's more credits and more classes from, from an admission side of things. Do you look at it differently and say, well, this post back is different. It's harder versus, a student who I've seen oftentimes where they have like 70 credits listed as their senior year because they either stayed longer and just didn't graduate or, or for whatever purposes, is there a technical difference that would look you, you would evaluate that application differently? Uh, not necessarily. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it depends a little bit, you know, a, a good question that I would have is, you know, what's the academic background, uh, look like in in the college uh, program. What what's that what's that GPA trend look like mm-hmm. uh, for the students? And uh, what uh, you know what uh, what are uh, the reasons why a fifth year is necessary? Um, you know, it could be if if the student wasn't doing well at their home institution, it might be beneficial to go to a different school and do a post back program at a different school mm. to sort of start over and get a fresh start. And, you know, uh, not that that's going to affect the calculation of the GPA, but I mean, internally for the student uh, to feel like they're getting a fresh start and, and can kind of start over with faculty and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I think it depends a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Good question. Yeah, that's a good question. All right. Uh, coming live here on Instagram as well, so we'll get get that going. Um, Sean asks, I brought up my science GPA from a 2.8 to a 3.1 during a full year of post-bac, about 24 semester credits, 4.0 post-bac. Do I need to take more classes? The wonderful, when when is enough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always, always the, the challenge. Dr. Wright, you, you have historically said for post back classes, if you're, if you're needing to prove academic capability, about 45 credits is kind of a, a good number to shoot for. And so the students at only at 24, at 24. at this point. Yeah. I, you know, I think that obviously it's great that in 24 credit hours, the student has done a 4.0. That's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Let's concentrate on that as opposed to raising the science GPA. Incrementally, that's going to change very slowly. It's never going to go up, you know, as high as you really want it to. So we're going to concentrate on that 4.0 post-bac GPA. I guess the question in my mind is, was it a formalized, uh, structured post-bac program or was this a do-it-yourself you know, thing that where, where the student could do more classes if they just, you know, enrolled in them or if it was a program that that he completed and uh, and, and did well in the program that's going to give him, you know, for example, letters of recommendation that it's a, noto- a, a noteworthy program in terms of it being structured and, and all that. So, again, 
it depends a little bit, but I would say if it's a do it yourself thing, I would say, yeah, get some more hours. I would say, you know, at least get into the thirties, you know, maybe, maybe take another uh, two or three classes to, to that are upper level. I don't know what you've taken in terms of those 24 credit hours, but uh, if it's a formalized program, then I would say, I'd say that's a little bit different. Uh, and that uh, I'd say, you know, uh, go for it. Yeah. Sean, so. Sean added, it's a do it yourself at UCSD extension. Okay. Okay. Well, my suggestion would be uh, to maybe pick up uh, some more hours. Uh, I would say, yeah. <clears throat> you know, uh, upper, upper level hours, um, biological sciences of some sort, um, maybe another, you know, three or four or whatever classes. Yeah. And Verinia, the, the mm -hmm. situation that always comes from these it, students will say, well, it's, I only went up to a 3.1, right? Uh, am I shooting to get to a 3.5? Am I shooting to get to a 3.6? Or is it just having a bulk of credits at as close to a, a 4.0 as possible? And for students in this situation, you just kind of ignore that cumulative number at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, you want to see that, okay, you've, you've sort of gotten to a point now where you are able to handle this work and you're taking on these upper level sciences and you're showing that you're uh, doing well in them and that you're um, able yeah. to do that work. Um, it, it definitely shows, you know, the improvement um, and it's going to benefit your GPA. And during that time too, um, I would definitely take advantage of, you know, as much, you know, study time and, and, and tutoring and, and preparing for the MCAT, right? Because that's also mm -hmm. going to um, impact your application. Yeah. It all is important. Mm -hmm. The, the pre-mid years episode going out today is a, a little bit of a rant after I saw a Reddit thread, uh, a, a pre-med subreddit thread that was just like, let's let's commiserate if you applied this year and you're not getting uh getting any traction interview wise acceptance wise and and it's basically just a list of people going well i have a 520 and a 3.8 and i don't see anything and i have a 517 and a 3.6 and i haven't seen anything and i have a 522 and a 3.9 and i haven't seen anything it's like guys gals everyone <laughs> you are more than your stats <laughs> stop just throwing your stats out there and saying oh i'm never gonna get in because whatever ah, it's just so frustrating so that's the pre-med years uh today if you want to go listen to that rant mm -hmm. <laughs> one of my favorite activities listening to ryan rant. <laughs> <laughs> all right mohammed asks can more and different shadowing experiences and volunteering compensate for less clinical experiences direct patient contact or any, what do you think? <laughs> You're over there mouthing. Uh, no, um, sadly, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And really, you should be looking at this as an opportunity for you to really experience being up close and personal with patients, because this is what you're planning to go into for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. hopefully. So no amount of shadowing or volunteering uh, will ever replace clinical yeah. exposure. It's a very often kind of thought that I can compensate for a lower GPA. I can compensate for a lower MCAT score. I can compensate for uh, not a lot of clinical or not a lot of shadowing with this other phenomenal experience. And a lot of times it's just like like some of those pieces are there for very specific reasons. And if, if you're completely missing something, mm -hmm. that, that may be an issue. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Get your clinical, kids. Yep. Yes, get your clinical. I need um need a a, a nice little like theme song for that. Okay. <laughs> I want it. Yeah. Never mind. My brain went immediately to like, let's make some songs. Let's do that later. <laughs> Sorry, We're neurodivergent crowd. We need to <laughs> stay on task here. <laughs> Uh, Charlotte asks, how do you improve upon test taking skills in regards to the MCAT? Not necessarily improving on the actual knowledge of the content. Rachel Grubbs. Yeah, uh, I will feel this one. So Charlotte, I want to start respectfully by saying you probably do need to improve on the knowledge of the content because a lot of times what's going on with the MCAT is people who think they have the content down have it have it mastered the way you would master it for a college midterm or final. And that is not the same way you need to study for the actual MCAT. Um, so um, we can talk about strategy here in a minute, but I just want to kind of put out there, if you are doing all of your content kind of in chunks by topic, right? If you're doing, well, I did three weeks of chem chapters and then I moved on and did three weeks of physics and then I moved on and did three weeks of bio and didn't go back to the chem or phys at all during that time, you probably didn't actually cover the content the way you should. Um, Pre-meds tend to be extremely gifted at reading books, memorizing information, and then applying it on an exam within the next few days. And that is a, a gift. Um, but the MCAT is so different, right? It integrates lots of topics. When you get questions, they're not saying this is specifically a Gen Chem question. I mean, it's even baked into the um, the subjects, right? Chemical and physical foundations of biological systems. You're going to get biochem in the chem phys section. So you have to be sort of nimble and jumping around from content to content. And then you also want to think a lot about active learning. Um, so a lot of people use flashcards. That's great. I also think um, doing any kind of drawing, right? So tables, charts, um, mind maps, diagrams, anything you can do to help help you kind of reorganize the information so that you're not just repeating what you learned, but actually sort of synthesizing it and showing how connections are made. And you can do that alone in your room with a whiteboard or a piece of paper, or you can find a study buddy and close the book and teach a concept to them. Um, I recently did a presentation with Joya over at Blueprint MCAT, and she and I were joking about how um, if you if you don't have people to teach to, just teach to your stuffed animals. Um, yeah. if, if you don't have stuffed animals, my ask question is why? I mean, everyone should, right? <laughs> but yeah, te teach to your blanket, teach to your pet, teach to the wall, um, teach to yourself on Zoom, record it and watch it back later and see where you stumble. That's something maybe you need to go review. Mm -hmm. um, and all of that is content, right? And then in terms of strategy, it's practice, 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 right? So if you want to improve on test taking skills, as you said, which I know was the heart of your question, you need to be working on um, going through passages and sections, first untimed and then timed and then graduating to full length timed exams, doing them under time pressured conditions is much like the real exam as possible. So don't wear PJs when you're testing unless you're going to actually wear PJs to the test center. Wear shoes and wear a mask because those things make you less comfortable and that's going to happen on test day. Um, you know, replicate those conditions as much as you can. 
and then spend one to two times as long reviewing the practice exam as you spent taking it. So, um, those, I mean, I could, this could be a whole course. It is. That's why Blueprint has a whole course on it, <laughs> as well as other companies, right? But right. That, that's kind of my big picture concept to you, right, is be active in your learning of your knowledge and be exacting to yourself in your time-pressured testing. And, and good luck, because it is absolutely possible to do it. You can do it. Great. Ryan asks, is it fine if I ask my lab TA for a recommendation letter? He's a grad student. I was thinking of maybe asking the professor to co-sign it. I'm asking the TA since he was the main point of contact. Dr. Wright, what do you think there? I think uh, I think asking the professor to co-sign it would be great. I, I think basically what you're asking is for the two of them together to write a letter yep. and that both of them sign the letter. And I think that's a wonderful, uh, uh, a wonderful uh, way to do it. Um, I, I would encourage that, particularly if the if the TA is the one that you've had the most contact with, um, and it it just depends a little bit on the uh, on the professor and kind of what they're willing to do or whatever. But uh, I, I'd go that direction first, absolutely. Yeah. It very often uh, with TAs and then with residents too. So if you're shadowing in a hospital and you, you're, right. your point of contact is a resident, typically we say you want the, the letter to come from an attending, but this whole cosign um, option is, is a potential option there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Vanessa asks... Postback student, I have a 393 science GPA and I'm struggling in OCHEM. Do I risk taking OCHEM 2 next semester? Hmm. Brittany, what do you think? Um, I guess it would depend on the ultimate grade that <laughs> they end up with, that Vanessa ends up with. Um, it's good that, that you know, you're recognizing that you are struggling. Um, definitely talk to your professor, see if there's anything you can do right now to sort of start um, strengthening those skills um, and, and ask them if they think that you could handle the work in OCAMP too. They would probably be the best, the professor would probably be the best person to tell you. Um, where do you think I stand right now? Do you think I'm getting this? Is it completely far off? Um, I would, you know, if you're, if you're hitting sort of in the C range, I wouldn't recommend it um, because clearly you're not getting that you're not understanding the material enough to, to move on with, you know, more advanced work. Um, but I would check in with, I would check in with your professor, see mm -hmm. what they recommend as well. Yeah, definitely. For, for yeah. most people, you're going to have to take OCHEM too. So yeah. right. that's the issue. That's yeah. what I was confused by is was she saying, should I take it? Or was she specifically saying next semester? Like she's making her schedule now and wondering mm -hmm. if she should allow a space. Yeah. That's um, kind of how I took it. Yeah. yeah okay. Me too. Yeah. I mean, one way or another, it's in your future, Vanessa. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it's like Verenia said, I think I, I, I want to know what struggling in mm -hmm. means. Is that mean a B? If, if that means a B, then I wouldn't categorize that as struggling, mm -hmm. but anything C or, or less, absolutely. I think you, you need to back up, reflect, see what, you know, try to figure out what's going on. If you're not already tutoring, uh, get in some study groups, you know, get uh, all the uh, tools that you can to understand 
first and foremost, why you're struggling in OKIM 1. Uh, and but I think in terms of Okim too, I agree with Vernia. No, uh, I, I would I would back off of that until you can better mm-hmm. understand what's going on. Yeah. Sam asks, my school does not guarantee a committee letter until late August. I have already gotten most of my individual letters. What should I do? <sighs> so my guess is that Sam is saying that he's applying next cycle. Mm-hmm. So I read mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you already have your individual letters, I would say you probably are a little early there. <laughs> you want your letters typically dated the year of your application year. Um, August is very typical for committees, right, mm-hmm. Scott? It's, yeah. it's very typical for committee letters to come out mid to late August. Mm-hmm. And it's not an issue. No. So I wouldn't be worried about it. If you want your committee letter, if you think they know you well enough, if they have a good track record, then uh, late August is fine for that. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, way to plan ahead. I agree with Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Ask those letter writers to redate in in 2022, but way to be thinking about letters of rec. Yep. I submitted this cycle, then got back my second MCAT, a 509 with a 123 in chem phys. Will I be screened out for a subsection score less than 125? Oh, the great pre-med myth. I had an overall score increase, and all sections were less than 125 on first attempt. Awesome. Yeah. Great improvement. Kudos to you, Rachel. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't worry about that score. No, Mm -mm. me either. Yeah, it's a great improvement. Yeah. Well, look, we have a famous dead movie star. Wow. <laughs> Thank from you for beyond. coming back to ask a question. I volunteered as an EMT. I'm glad they got good Wi-Fi and uh, wherever you are. I volunteered as an EMT for six months and have 250 hours. I quit so that I can focus on my MCAT. Very, very common scenario, right? Of someone quitting a job to go focus on the MCAT. Does this look like checking off boxes? I have 60 hours of shadowing, 600 hours of scribing so far. So, became an EMT, did it for six months, done. I'm done. Right, that's what it looks like on the application. Scott, what are you, what are your concerns when you look at an application like that? Um, well, I think that it. No, I would not fear that it was going to take. Um, that it was going to look like checking off boxes. Um, my 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 question, I guess, Carrie, is um, it, would it be possible for you not to pick up like, you know, maybe one shift a, a week or something? Yeah. Uh, if you're volunteering as an EMT, can you could you pick up one shift a week uh, and, you know, continue doing it while you're focusing, while you're doing the MCAT stuff? Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be much, but. You know, even even a little bit can, you know, keep you sort of in the mix and, and make it seem like that you are doing it for reasons other than just checking off a box. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Good thought there. I agree. I, I mean, I also wonder, right, the MCAT is three to four months of your life. I mean, uh, Carrie, we don't know about the rest of your life. Maybe you have kids and a full time job and the MCAT's going to be a nine or 10 month endeavor. Um, but you could also do more clinical after the MCAT. So even mm-hmm. if you can't yeah. find a you know, a five hour a week commitment. Like, right. Mm-hmm. 
Scott, what are your what are your thoughts on a student like this potentially putting as the last sentence or second to last sentence in their activity if they don't go back to being an EMT to to say I left uh, my EMT job to focus on the MCAT? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I think that's appropriate. It it at least gives the reader or the admissions committee an an understanding of why you know why why that dropped off the yeah. the. the of your activities. So yeah, I think that's appropriate. It's potential there. Context, yeah. context. Mm -hmm. well, I yeah. like to say all the time, there are no rules when it comes to those activity descriptions. And right. so if, if it's something that is keeping you up at night, then throw a sentence in there and, and give context to it. Yep. Absolutely. How is volunteering online as a teacher tutor seen in comparison to in person? Well, Good thing we've gone through a pandemic and shown the world that we keep going online in a virtual environment. So I don't think yeah. you're going to have any problem. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah. It's way more challenging, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to I do it online. I agree with that. No. So, yeah. Lena asks, may I take a gap year to get extra clinical? You may. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried that med schools will uh, will wish I would have gotten more clinical during my undergrad experience rather than after. Just get um, it. Just get it. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. This I, is the this is a good example. And Lena, I don't say this to be uh, to be rude or anything to you, but this is a good example of overthinking. Yeah. A process. Yeah. Good clinical experience is good, regardless of when or where you get it. Uh, so, uh, just do it and don't over, don't overthink it that mm -hmm. it's going to look this way or that way or whatever. Yeah. A, a good question or just kind of a, uh, a rhetorical question that we often ask is what's the alternative? Yeah. Right? It's like, you've already gone through your undergrad, I'm assuming, and you don't have as much clinical experience as you want. Therefore you're going to need to get some clinical experience in the gap year. What's the alternative? We don't have time machines yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As far as you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Abraham asks, what are your thoughts on January retake? I have a 496 and I'm afraid of not having enough time to significantly increase my score. You answered your own question there. Mm -hmm. Rachel, what do you think? Yeah, I was just doing months. I was like November, December, January. It's three months. Yeah. Um, first of all, Abraham, uh, I hope that while you're watching this, you're also on the AAMC website trying to lock in that January test date because yeah. they go fast. Depending um, on where you live. Yeah. If you're in the western half of the country tomorrow. But if you're in, if you're roughly, if you're in the eastern time zone, except for some reason, they ignore a couple states that are in this eastern time zone, you should be signing up for the MCAT right now. Um, but uh three months is, is plenty of time to do it right. Um, you just have to really look at your schedule and be really honest with yourself about what you can do. Um, don't schedule yourself a 12 hour shift in the ER and then a five hour study session after right? that's, that's not going to happen. So, you know, figure out where your, um, where your energy can go and figure out what you can, um, put away for a little while, right? Like, um, you can't give up school, you can't give up clinical or you can give up clinical, but only for a little, but you know, are there clubs you're doing that don't matter for a few months or, you know, you have to, you have to think about where you're going to make space in your life to make MCAT a job and you schedule yourself for study shifts. And then like any job, 
Maybe you're sick one day, maybe two days, but mostly you just show up and do the work. Yeah. How much does being in the honors program matter to get into top medical schools like UT Southwestern, Baylor, Ivy's, et cetera? Not more uh, than clinical. Oh, we're not making in the heart? Oh, oh I was zero. making a zero. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out very well. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Scott, as the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, um, how much did you go, okay, this student has a three – six oh but they were in the honors program therefore uh, we like them more you know i don't think it matters that much i think it does depend a little bit on where you went to school and how familiar the medical school is with your program and the honors program that you you, you were enrolled in um but all you know at the end of the day i don't i don't think it really is going to make that big of a difference don't yeah. and, and I used to get this question all the time, you know, from uh, high school seniors and, and freshmen. Uh, should I enter? You know, should I go into the honors program uh, at at my institution? Would that look, you know, good on my application? And my and my statement to that is always: Do not do it to look good on your application. Do it because you want to get something from it. Uh, <laughs> to improve yourself, to, to, you know, broaden your horizons, you know, whatever, but uh, don't do it because you're, if that's the only reason you're doing it, then that's a waste. Right? Yeah. Um, as an example, I did the honors program at Ohio state and I did it partly to make Ohio state smaller, right? It's a mm -hmm. huge state school and it's much more competitive now than it used to be. But when I went, you know, getting in was not that challenging. So I wanted to make sure that I had an opportunity to make friends with people who were um, academically minded. I wanted to live in an honors dorm so that, I mean, it was still dorm life, right? But we studied some, um, <laughs> you know, it was a lot quieter than the other dorms. Um, I wanted that community. Um, so, so for me, that was the motivation. But yeah, if you're just thinking about what does it look like, like nothing looks good if you can't reflect on what it meant to right. you. You know, yeah. it's it's the same exact question we see all the time from uh, from students who are engineering majors going, mm -hmm. well, I did engineering because I thought it would look better and I only have a three five, but it's engineering. So they're going to they're going to like it. Is that, that is that OK? And that's just like do do what's going to fit you the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My real extreme example of that is one time I had a student who had a 2.2 at Cornell and she was like, but isn't that the same as like a three, five or three, seven at other schools? And nope. I was like, no, <laughs> no I, I don't know who fed you that lie. Cornell. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's probably right. Um, yeah. You gotta, you gotta put in the work. Yep. All right. Dan, the man. Dan the man. Um, all right. Where is this one? I want to send a letter of interest and updates post-interview to a school that accepts them. How do I state that X School of Medicine is one of my top choices? Do I just plainly state that in the letter? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Honesty is the best policy. Yep. Yeah. I love you. Will you go steady <laughs> with me? <laughs> yeah. That's what you got to do. Yep. 
Oh no. <laughs> Postscript. <laughs> I was ignoring it. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. That is hilarious. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny, Lena. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, med school rep told me to do a post back because my GPA is a 2.7, even though I have a 4.060 credit upward trend. Thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts. That's one school. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, one, that's one school and, and I, I, that would be that would not be my recommendation yeah for 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 you know what you've described here so yeah and we don't know what school it was maybe maybe that's not a school that you would want to apply to in the future right mm -hmm. if they're already sort of saying no you need to do this and this yeah Good point yeah it's the almost, only go ahead, go ahead. You go. You go. <laughs> the only thing i would nitpick at is just making sure that those 60 hours are science yes right that if for some reason sure. your upper trend is like psychology and sociology or something, which yeah. certainly has Fair meaning, point. will mm -hmm. help you, right? But yeah, that just sounds like mm -hmm. yeah, a weird one off. I agree. Yep. I agree. Very, very good point. Okay, we're getting a lot of do I have chances questions today, friend, and you know we don't have crystal ball. <laughs> Susan asks, or Suzanne or something, I, I've worked as a surgical tech in the OR, nursing assistant in the ICU, and emergency technician uh, in the ER. Do I still need to shadow doctors? Very common question. Right? I have tons of clinical experience. Do I still need to shadow? You know, I, this is a great question. And what I would say to as an answer to this question is, I think it would benefit you to do a little bit of shadowing outside the hospital to see what, what is the life, what is the work of a physician look like in a private practice, mm. uh, a family practice, you know, situation or whatever, uh, just to get a sense of, cause all your experience that you're describing here is, is hospital based experience. And so I would say, you know, maybe get a sense of wh what does this look like? You, you just do a little bit, you know, maybe a couple of times, uh, three or four times, you know, whatever you're able to do in a family practice or a pediatrics, uh, pediatrics clinic or, or whatever, just to get a just to get a viewpoint on what does that look like relative to what I've experienced in the in these various departments uh, in the hospital. Yep. Good point. Yeah. Get get a little bit to put on your application because there are some random schools that will screen you out for not having any shadowing on your application. All right. We're getting a lot of what are my chances questions, so we're not going to do them all, but I will pick one so we can talk about it broadly. Yes, I love. What are my chances? Natalie asks, I'm applying this cycle and I have a question about my chances. I have a 2.5 science GPA, a 2.8 undergrad GPA, I'm assuming, a cumulative GPA, but a 4.0 in my biomedical master's. I scored a 497 on my MCAT. I have 8,000 clinical hours and volunteering. 
applied to both MD and DO. Hmm. Scott, what are my chances? Yeah, I think the MCAT's the big the big problem here. Hmm. Um, obviously, undergrad dicey did great in your master's program, which is fantastic. Lots of clinical hours and volunteering. Excellent. All of that is great. But I get really nervous, very nervous, anytime an MCAT's below 500. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, Natalie, I think that the MCAT is the, is the big thing. I would say uh, you need to retake the MCAT um, to, uh, to increase that score. Uh, and then, uh, but with, with these stats, as you, st as you stated them here, I don't think you're ready to apply. Uh, I would say you need to work on, uh, the MCAT. Yeah. That, that MCAT, even for, uh, I know I, we don't like talking about, about it this way, but pre-meds do, uh, even for those DO schools, a 497 right. is, is uh, it's low. pretty low. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, one challenge is this time of year when people say I'm applying this cycle, sometimes they mean I've Next. applied, which is what mm -hmm. Natalie meant. And uh -huh. sometimes they mean I'm applying in May. Um, so Natalie has applied and her chances are still higher than zero. Right. Um, yeah. But but um, why don't we talk about you know, in this case, you're kind of already saying you think it's smart for her to go ahead and plan on a retake. Yeah. But we, we've got a lot of question askers saying, I haven't had any interviews yet. So let's discuss when do you start to make a plan to reapply? Well, but before we even jump into that, because Natalie applied to DO schools, DO, many DO schools are very favorable to January MCAT test dates. Yep. Yeah. So that would be the first thought so that yep. we don't waste this application cycle. Mm -hmm. If you think you're ready, Natalie, to take the MCAT in January, get on the AAMC website, register for the test in January, and and go crush it and show yeah. that, that you're better than that 497. Yeah. And that will give the deal schools that you apply to this year another opportunity to go, okay, this is better. We want to talk to you now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. So let's assume January is out of the question for her. It's it's too stressful, not enough time to, to prep. What are what are next steps for any? What do you think? Um, definitely start looking at retaking. Um, maybe March. March might be a better option. Gives you a little bit more time. Um, I think that by November, right? We usually say like around Thanksgiving, you kind of have a sense of what's coming up, if it's happening, if it's not happening. Um, um, but I would definitely not rule that out. I would definitely start looking at a schedule for getting MCAT prepped on and maybe look at a March date. Yep. And I think, you know, the thing about in, in a more general way, I think the thing about what should students do that have applied this year are not hearing anything. Let's say, you know, the question was when, when should I start really thinking about preparing for the next application? I think it's always better to be, uh, to, to assume the worst, mm -hmm. assume I'm not going to get in and I'm going to be applying next year. So what can I do right now in October, uh, and, and heretofore, um, or, you know, moving forward, uh, what what can I do to to improve on the areas of my application that that need improving on, and uh, but and then if something happens and you get an interview and you get in somewhere, then great, yeah, that's fantastic. But if you wait 
until January or March or, or February or whatever uh, to, to find out, then your timeline is, is squeezed mm-hmm. so tightly that there's not a whole lot you can do. So mm-hmm. I think I always best to assume the worst uh, and then, and then uh, uh, move, move forward in that within that context. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mohammed asks, will I get a complete response if I ask med schools how they evaluate international students as a U.S. undergrad? Ask and find out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I suspect no. I I suspect the only thing they're going to find that you're going to find is that they either do or do not accept international students. In terms of how they evaluate them, I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of information on that. Yeah. They're going to fall back on the language they use for everyone, which is right. holistic review. Yep. yep. Um, Muhammad, what I will say is we did a session about international students applying at National Pre-Med Day, and that's here on MAP TV. You can um, you can find it in the National Pre-Med Day playlist. Um, so we, we got into uh, a lot of detail on that. Um, and it helps that you have U.S. undergrad. That's going to be mm-hmm. in your favor. Yep. Um, you're still going to have a lot of hurdles, but at least you've – you know, U.S. med schools are are biased towards U.S. undergrad, and you've got that, so that's great. Yep. Ali asks, "Do I consider myself a reapplicant if I am applying the first time for a particular school, but I had applied to other different schools in the previous cycle?" I don't know why this question always comes up. And maybe I, I haven't I, I dug into the application uh, enough, but when I was writing my last book, the application process book, like I had all the applications open and I was going through them all. Like, I don't understand why this question gets asked so much. Scott, do, do you know why? Like, well, so here's my suspicion. <clears throat> and I don't know, Ali, if this is if this is the case for you. But I think for the for the primary application for AMCAS, for example, when when they say are you a reapplicant, uh, then you're going to say yes if you applied to any schools last cycle. For for, for uh, then you, you'll say yes. Now there are some medical schools that ask in their secondary applications if you're a reapplicant and, and information about being a reapplicant. Yep. And I, I'm wondering if he if Ali is is uh, referring to that uh, more so. Uh, if it gets asked in a secondary application, then you're really pointing that at that particular school. Did you apply to that particular school last year? Unless they specify any schools otherwise. So just carefully examine the question to know and to try to understand what, what their meaning is, what they're trying to get from you, uh, what they're trying to understand uh, about you as an applicant uh, before you uh, before you answer it. But, uh, but I agree in general if you applied anywhere uh, through AMCAS, then yes, you're an applicant. You're a reapplicant. Same thing with the Comus and the and uh, the Texas system. Yeah. Amir asks, "I studied mechanical engineering at Texas A&M. Struggling this year with the football team. It's all right. Yeah. Three point seven four GPA. Gator. I don't have much room with the Gators losing to Kentucky. Uh, Three point seven four yeah. GPA. How do you recommend to study for cars for people who whose 
who have English as their second language. I'm very scared of the cars section. Read, 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 read. read. Yeah. yeah. Um, critically read. Um, so uh, a lot of pre-meds are really, really good at reading science textbooks. So read something non-science. Um, I recommend that you read something long form um, just to build your skills. I would say much longer form than MCAT passages. Um, you are, of course, going to do tons and tons and tons of MCAT cars passages. But I would also recommend that you look into magazines like um, the Atlantic, The Economist, uh, The New Yorker, hmm. um, was it The New Republic? It, uh, things that are like long uh, societal commentaries, just to get your brain used to that kind of intense reading. And then when it's done, talk about it. And again, maybe you have a study buddy, another friend who's learning English as a, as a foreign language who wants to do that with you. Um, or maybe talk to your uh, pets. <laughs> Yes. If you, by if the you way, in the tone of your pets barking, then you you're yes. gonna nail cars. And by the way, Texas A&M, great Texas school, did beat Alabama last week. So, did you guys see and, that clip of the family watching yes. the field goal kick? Yes. Oh God, it was just the sweetest thing. The uh, mama so like wasn't even watching; she couldn't handle it. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. That was good. That was, that was great. Good. Nothing against all of you listeners or watchers in Alabama. I, I'm not saying that. Oh, well, it's I'm it's good that. to see the king topple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Saban. Come on. <laughs> anyway. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Mr. Ridger. I'm a prior military non-trad with five years of clinical experience as a medic. All of my time is currently going toward improving my undergrad GPA of a 3.1 cumulative. Will my lack of extracurriculars be an issue? Your military. That's kind of your whole application right there. That's a lot of extracurricular there too. So Yeah. But the, it sounds like it's I was this, and then I stopped, and now I'm only focusing on school. Is it okay that I'm going to have a big gap in my activities? Okay. Well, I guess, you know, I, I, I don't like the idea that we treat, the, treat military service differently. So let's shift this a little bit. If, if this question had said, I am a non-trad who worked as a nurse uh, a, or a, yeah, a nurse – or I'm a non-trad that worked as a, you know, accountant and I did clinical stuff. You know, I did some volunteering when I was an accountant uh, for an organization or whatever. Uh, all my time currently is. So will my lack of extracurriculars be an issue? I think you need to still continue to do some volunteering uh, that you need, need to. Now, in this particular case, the clinical stuff, we don't know how long ago that was. Um, so, you know, that could be an issue, but I mean, you kind of know clinically what's going on. I would, I would equate this, this, uh, the answer here with what I stated the, in a, a previous question is that what you know about is clinic, your clinical experience is in the military. What I would encourage you to do is get some clinical experience and some shadowing experience in non, in a non-military, uh, setting. 
uh, which you you know may not know anything about. What does a doctor's life look like uh, outside the military in a pediatrics clinic uh, on the edge of town? Or what, what does a hospital setting look like uh, in a regular, you know, typical hospital? So, um, so I think you need to, you know, kind of involve that stuff, both for to, to make the contention that this is something that's important to you. Uh, so, and it doesn't have to be a lot, a lot of time commitment. You're focusing on school, and I understand that. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, I, I think that you, you need to do it for yourself, too, to, to, to to understand what what clinical medicine looks like in a variety of different contexts. Yep. Agree, agree. I am a, a huge fan of consistency when it comes to activities. And I, I think the the thing that holds students up is we say continue to get experiences and immediately in their mind they think, oh, I need 20 hours a week. <laughs> like, no. Like, especially having tons of hours already being a, a medic in the military. Um, just like one day a week, one day every two weeks, um, yeah. just to continue to get some experience out there. And what what I also really like for that reason uh, or, or giving that advice is that students, I, I've talked to enough students who make a transition like this and then they get burnt out on the classroom stuff or the MCAT prep stuff. And I'll ask them, when's the last time you shadowed? When's the last time you got some clinical experience? And they said, well, I haven't. I've been so focused on this. I'm like, get back into a clinic. Put yourself back around patients to consistently remind you why you're doing this. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. And we hear that from students, right? Like that that helps keep them their head in the game, helps them mm -hmm. remember the goal. So uh, it should be one of the more exciting parts of your life. Yeah. All right. We're at nine to the hour. Probably have time for one or two more. Uh, here's a quick one. What is the best time to take the MCAT for a first time taker and TMD SAS applicant? It, yeah, it doesn't matter that you're applying to Texas, but for any application service, if you're hoping to apply in 2022, then you should be ideally taking the MCAT in January or March. Yep. Um, yep. So that means for anyone listening, signing up today or tomorrow based on the AMC map, um, it, registration will stay open, but some cities um, book out the first couple days. So you, you want to, if, if you're definitely set on January or March, which is what we recommend, um, go get it now. April is still okay. May is, eh. what you have to think about is not just when am I taking it and getting my scores back, but heaven forbid something happens. The alarm doesn't go off. The power goes off at the test center. Um, you get pneumonia. I mean, I don't want any of those things for any of you, but if it happens, when are you going to retake, right? So why not make a plan that involves cushion for error? And if there's no error, you're just ahead of the game. Yep. That is that. Okay. Ooh, you see Gurpreet's question here? Oh, we can go to Gurpreet. All right. That's a good one. Uh, I'll show it here. Thanks. Any advice that you can give an applicant with no science background? How should one prepare for the MCAT? I'm a Canadian student that does not need science classes for the school's admissions. So, 
it's very interesting, right? And and we're seeing more and more schools here in the U.S. It's still a very small number where they got rid of all of their prereqs. They're just like, show us you're good. Take the MCAT and and we'll get you in. You, you don't need to prove that you did one year of this and one year of that. Uh, but the MCAT's still a science test, right, Rachel? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's still about half content, half critical reading, critical thinking, problem solving. Um and um, you could even argue that it's maybe a little bit more on the critical thinking side. But still, if a test is 40% of something, that's probably not something you skip. Um, so, yeah, I guess what it what it is, is, you know, for Canada and for anyone who's applying to those med schools that sort of say, we just want to know that you've got the content. It works well if you're really great at self-studying. Um, you're going to need to know that content for the exam. I would start by going to the AMC. Um there's a giant document you can print that's all the topics or you can just interact with the online version of it. But get yourself the list of every single topic that could potentially be covered on the exam. And then using Khan Academy, using secondhand college textbooks, start teaching yourself that information. Um, it's just I think what it means is it probably adds more time to your MCAT prep. Right. So MCAT prep is usually a mix of content review and um, critical problem solving. And for you, it's going to be content instruction, which typically takes longer than review. Um, but it's possible. I mean, people do it every year. You just need to, uh, really respect the MCAT and give it, give it the time that it mandates. Yeah. And maybe take a diagnostic, see how you go, you know, where are you going in blind, not knowing anything about this test? Um, that's a good place to start too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, for one thing, what it'll do is it'll show you how far your reading skills are going to take you. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, I feel bad that I teased Arabella, so let's go back real quick. When should you apply to a postback in your senior year? We had a couple of questions about uh, mm -hmm. timing-wise for postback programs. I don't know. When do postbacks open? I think, yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know that I know the answer to that either. Um, I think it's a yeah. very similar timeline. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me Google postback cast. Yeah. Oh, good it's, idea. Postback cast, yeah. Um, all right. So while Ryan's Googling that, we can maybe take one more. Oh, that's a good one. Played D1 football at the U. <laughs> I was just wondering how much emphasis medical schools place on sports. Well, I, I would say it, the first thing I would say to that is that depends on whether your football team was winning or losing. <laughs> False. No, I'm just I, that's a, I'm totally I'm totally kidding there, Elias. <laughs> But uh, honestly, I mean, I think the medical schools do acknowledge that varsity sports players um, have a rough go. That there's a huge mm -hmm. time commitment for that uh, and that uh, it really does take a, a lot of uh, a big uh, effort in terms of time management. Uh, but there's a lot of resources in most D1 uh, sports uh, athletic departments. Uh for tutoring and, and stuff like that. And so I would say it's not a huge emphasis uh, that they 
put on sports, but I, I do think that they, they do give a little bit of credit and, and they do acknowledge mm -hmm. that uh, varsity varsity players have a, um, have a, a lot going on. Yeah. And I guess I would take that a step further and say like, you're, the standards are still the standards, right? You're still expected right. to have great grades and mm -hmm. meaningful clinical. Um, what would probably be common to see is that it might take you a little longer to graduate because mm -hmm. of the things you're balancing. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, you still got to do what you got to do. And it's, it's not just sports, right? It could be, um, right. you know, someone who's a theater major and is, you know, doing rehearsals Heavily, for five yeah. hours a day and mm -hmm. um, you, you still got to do the other things. Um, but yeah. what, what it probably now, should help you with is some activity reflection, right? Hopefully you learned a lot about collaboration and discipline and teamwork. Yeah. 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 yeah what absolutely. were you going to say, Scott? Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, if, if, if you play D1 football at Alabama, then just give up. Don't, it's not, <laughs> Ouch. Not, not going to happen. Oh. That's awesome. Uh, uh, is they, it any secret that I don't U. like Alabama? <laughs> so, so Elias says at the U, and typically when they say at the U, they're either talking about um, University of Ohio, right? They call it at the U, uh, or University of Miami. Uh, it's typically hmm. the U. Oh, really? Um, okay. So, I, I'd be interested, uh, Elias. Uh, what what yeah, U are you referring Elias, to? Tell us, Tell us where, where you went. That would be interesting. We could just Google if that's his name. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, back to postback cast. So postback cast, and not every postback program uses postback cast. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, postback cast application cycle opens August 12th of 2021 this year. Uh, and they close July of next year. So it's a very long application cycle as well. Um, but there, there you have it. That's when the cycle opens up. Yep. Uh, um, and it, it was the the University of Miami. Okay, <laughs> the real you. Okay. So, yeah. so yeah, Miami's struggling this year. So. <laughs> this year, they've been struggling for a decade. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that, that true. A, a, a great history, but recently <laughs> hasn't been so great. Yeah, but I'm sure you're a great football player, Elias. I, I, I'm sure you're you're the best on the team. So. <laughs> Um, so there's one really good question. I know we're at about a minute till two and, um, Vrini, I know you have a hard stop. So one of us may have to drop off, but I wanted to tackle this one I can, here. I can hang out for two minutes. Lena asks my why for becoming a physician involves my experiences with an eating disorder. I'm fully recovered. However, I'm nervous about what med schools may think about my past. Should I not mention it? Great question. Whether it's eating disorder, whether it's, uh, mental health stuff, right. Right. Lots of students uh, have concerns. If I if I talk about this, what will medical schools think? Brittany, what do you think? I think if it's your why, you have to be authentic. It's so important to you shaping who you are. Um, there's a way to talk about it, uh, you know. And, and and I say this also, you know, if you're able to talk about this during an interview as well, and not get emotional around it. Um, that's a big thing to consider because obviously you don't want to have a breakdown during your interview, but it's your why, you know, you've, it sounds like you've embraced it. You've come out of it. Um, and I think it's so important to, to who, you know, to why you're on this path. Um, you should definitely mention it. Yep. So Lena is a third year at Cornell. She's, she's the one who went to uh, Cornell. Right. They did indeed tell us that. <laughs> 
what, what do you think? Lena asked a lot of good questions today that we brought up. What do you think about Lena winning our uh, year access to Mapton? Uh, I love it. Love it. Yes. love it. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So Lena, okay. send us uh, an email info at mapped.com and we'll, we'll get you set up. Yeah, definitely. All right. So Lena, send us an email, info at map.com. I wanted to answer for the group. I just posted in this in chat. Someone asked about the parent session we had last week mm -hmm. and if it would also be useful for non-traditional spouses. A hundred percent. We definitely marketed it as a parent mm -hmm. thing because we've been getting a lot of feedback about, I wish my parents understood, mm -hmm. but we actually surveyed the group and there were spouses and other family members mm -hmm. there. Um, so mapped.com slash parents, um, the session already happened, but you can catch the replay there. We've left that link up. So it'll, um, you'll have to confirm your registration. And then once you confirm it, you will automatically get a link to the replay. And then while I'm sharing um, links, it's not too late to sign up for pre-med launch. So anyone who is, oops, well, that's a typo. <laughs> Again, um, anyone who is newer in the pre-med process or just wants to double check that they've got the right steps um, later today, we're going to be talking about what pre-meds need to know. And Scott, that, that's your session. You want to Give a couple highlights. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, really, I'm going to be talking about six important keys to, for new pre-meds. Uh, so it's really focused on those who are, are brand new to the pre-med uh, life, uh, whether whether you're a first year, you know, student in uh, college or you've just switched your, you know, you were something else major and you're just switching into this or whether you're not a non-traditional student and you're coming from a different career. For whatever reason, you're a brand new pre-med. This is focused on you. And I'm going to be talking about six important key uh, characteristics that you can go and look at and really dive into. So sh show up today and, and see if there's not some stuff that'll, that'll help you out. Awesome, right. awesome. Uh, well, we didn't get to every question. We don't every week. Sometimes you guys are really active, but come back next week and try again. Or Friday, right? You've got your live Instagram. Friday, live Friday. I do live Instagram. Yep. I do, um, I do. Okay. See you. Awesome. Bye, friends. Bye, all. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.